Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Happy Friday, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Brian Scott Rippey, Brian Haydad, Michael Borkey in the studio. Glad to have you along on this Friday afternoon rolling into the weekend. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, you can find them at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing land and all that goes along with it, like equipment and um, auto loans, uh, refinancing needs, all of those things Mississippi Land Bank has been doing for better than a century. That's why we say that they know the lay of the land. We are coming to you live currently from a soggy Swayze Field. The tarp is on the field, rain is falling, and it's going to continue to do so for the next few hours. However, the forecast has gotten a little bit better, and it looks like we will play baseball later this evening. Yes, it it appears that we're going to have the window that we need. It's between 7 and midnight, we're good. After midnight... We can't make any kind of, of uh, bit of a crapshoot after yeah, that. At 3 a.m., we're screwed. So, if, if like I said, if we're in the 28th inning, a la the Rippy plan, uh, we, we're going to have some problems. He only wanted to play 25 innings. Me and Haydad are punching off the clock at midnight. <laughs> the game's going on, so be it. What time do the bars close in this town? Uh, we get some chicken on a stick. Word. There you go. Uh, glad to have you along this afternoon. Uh, this is just one of seven series that are going on in the SEC this weekend. Got started last night in Fayetteville. LSU jumped out to an early lead. They could not hold it for long as Arkansas hit five home runs and just blasted LSU 14-4 to last night. Are they uh, are they tapping out, Baton Rouge? You think they're just saying, ah? Uh... Well, the fact that they were still a host is, is mind-boggling to I me. I agree. A projected host. They will not be hosting. No, it's not going to happen. They're a mess right now. On the mound. What was the final score to the La Tech game this week? Do you remember? Because like one, yeah, they gave so, it twelve to one. So that's two games this week, and that's twenty-six to five. Yeah, this seems like that. a poor ratio. A word there is that. a word for that that I've trademarked. <laughs> what what word would that be? Suboptimal. Yeah, I knew that was what the word was. Um, got a bunch to get to. Borky, how's your Friday? Is it raining in Jackson as well? Uh, yeah, all day long. And at, at this point, I'm honestly afraid that water's going to get into my house. <laughs> um, Wait, I, which your, your current house or your soon-to-be house? The, the soon-to-be house is, is sitting on a little hill, so the drainage is excellent. The current house, the front yard, slopes down towards the street. The backyard, however, has... Whoop! Yeah, a little bit of an issue. So if it rains all weekend like it's supposed to, I might be getting some sandbags. Otherwise, yeah, it's just raining here. But other than that, everything's okay. 
That would be a good job for you to have to hand fill sandbags and then stack them <laughs> along the, uh, the the rear patio of your home. I can't. I mean, you know, two weeks before I'm supposed to move out. Well, three weeks, I guess technically before I'm supposed to move out, and this is what I get to deal with. I can't wait. I'm. You, you could just move all the furniture like to the high spot in the house and say, "Well, it's not my house anymore. It's <laughs> yeah, just right? this is going to have to be somebody else's responsibility." I mean, I've got renter's insurance. You know, I'm good. I'll be okay. Might be a, a nice way to get new furniture going into the new home. Oh, that's the last thing I need to pay for more stuff. No, but I'm saying we'll, if, we'll a, if it gets me. yeah, if it gets ruined because of flooding into your home, then maybe you could claim all your stuff was destroyed and you could get new stuff for free. Mm, that's actually a good idea, especially since all our furniture is white and we have two dogs that have brown hair. So you can imagine what has happened to, to that over the Wait, last. Wait, where did Borky go? He just ran out and opened the back door of Borky. <laughs> opened all the doors and windows. He's good to go now. What? Why is there this trench in your back? Well, I, I trenched away for the water to get into the house. Yeah, um, I'll fill it back boat. up when I'm done. Yeah. Um, not great weather in College Station either, where they're trying to play the SEC softball tournament. You uh, had Ole Miss, who knocked Mississippi State out yesterday, get knocked out themselves today. Got run ruled by Kentucky, eight to nothing, in uh, five innings. So now Ole Miss will wait. They certainly are in the NCAA tournament in regional play. The only question is whether or not they will be a host when the regional sites are uh, are announced uh, coming up in, well, I guess, a week or so. A um, lot to get to this afternoon. John Harris is going to join us. We're going to talk with John for a couple of segments today during the college football fix, kind of some post-mortem draft stuff, uh, where guys go from here, what it's like as uh, players try to uh, earn the money that they have uh, been paid in signing bo- bonuses and how undrafted free agents begin their journey to try and uh, and make a roster. We'll talk with him about that this afternoon. Uh, we'll get into the rest of what is happening in the uh, the SEC. Borky, you think we need to look at who else to root for this weekend? Yeah, I was asked to, about that from a buddy last night because, I mean, even though Mississippi State's pretty much a lock for a national seed unless they go over the next couple of weeks, uh, but Ole Miss needs some teams to lose at least to make themselves a little bit more comfortable, so who do they need to lose? And I thought before a few hours ago that tonight was going to be a complete wash. So diverting your attention away from this series to continue watching baseball, what are you looking forward to? But I guess we're actually going to play today. Yeah. Looks like we got a, a good shot at that. Candidly, both Mississippi State and Ole Miss need LSU to figure out a way to play just a little bit better because Arkansas right now is trying to run away with the West with their win last night. They're now two games ahead in the loss column three ahead in the win column over Mississippi State and Ole Miss. And with the Rebels and Bulldogs playing each other, assuming you don't have a split one way, or excuse me, a sweep one way or the other, somebody, or potentially both, could lose ground if Arkansas is able to pull off a sweep at home this weekend against LSU. Yeah, even if you just win the series, you're going to lose another game on them. So If they sweep. If they sweep, which just looking at it right this second, I feel you know that could happen. Still no Cole Henry for uh, for LSU on the mound this weekend. Did not make the trip. And so now that Zach Hess has been pushed to the back of the bullpen, I, I mean, that's a great idea in principle. But if you're down eight in the fourth inning, what good does your best pitcher or the best pitcher on your staff being at the back end of the bullpen do for you? Well, you'd need to throw a left fielder at that point and just kind of save the pin. I know it's the fourth inning, but, like, generally after that. Well, that's not exactly what they did last night. They had some arms, but they were getting – Pop pretty good early. Did they start Hilliard? Yes. Okay. 
three innings, seven hits, six runs. I'm just doing that off the top of my head. That may not be exactly right, but he uh, he got popped pretty good early in that ball game. He's done well against Ole Miss two years. Threw like six innings and one run ball here two years ago, and then was pretty good. His curveball was up last night, and the home run parade started early against him and really continued for a big part of the game. You look at Arkansas, and Arkansas had the sweep against Mississippi State at home. I guess the most impressive series win of the year for Ole Miss is going to Fayetteville and after losing game one, backsiding that series to get games two and three in Fayetteville because Arkansas, good grief, they they are playing really well right now. How many SEC games have they lost since that series? They've uh, won, what, like nine or ten in a row? If you'll give me just a second, well, I they, can... They, 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 they didn't sweep last weekend. They uh, Zach Thompson beat them. Zach That's Thompson right. Okay, them. so never mind. Yeah, they... But... They've been really good uh, since then. You, you look at Arkansas. So when was that series? That Was it end of March or was it actually the first week of April? End of March. It was right after the uh, Ole Miss's one and done in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, so March 29th, 30th, and 31st, Arkansas beat Ole Miss 5-3 to in game one. They lost 4-3 to and 10-5. to After that, they lost game one against Auburn, then won the next two. They lost the first two against Vanderbilt, and it was like things kind of changed for Arkansas in game three. It was a back-and-forth game. They won 14-12 to in the series finale. So it was final game against Vanderbilt, three in a row against Mississippi State, three in a row against Tennessee. So that was seven straight. Then they won the first two against Kentucky to make it nine in a row before losing the uh, the final game of that series and then bouncing back with a win last night. So they've been really, really good over the last month of the season. Yeah, and, and that's not really a surprise. I mean, we knew they were going to be a good baseball team. Maybe they're playing at a little bit higher level than we thought they would. But, uh, you would know, you say better offensively maybe than you thought they yeah, would be? especially with what they lost from that College World Series team. I knew Campbell was going to be a good guy at the front end of that rotation. And, but, the, you know, they've got a couple freshmen pitching well, too. Connor Nolan. Who you know? I know more as their backup quarterback. Yeah, he threw a great game against Mississippi State, and he's, he's pitched well. That, he pitched really well against Tennessee. I think he carried a no hitter through five innings in the game against Tennessee. That's the teams you have to watch out for. Mississippi State is sort of on that list with Plumley. Teams that have guys who are coming to into their own here at the end of the season. Yeah, those are dangerous teams. Yeah, so Arkansas's got the veteran in Isaiah Campbell that throws in game one. They follow it up with uh, the freshman in game two, Wicklander, and then it's Connor Nolan going in game three. The only question for me with Arkansas, Matt Cronin was unbelievable at the beginning of the year. Didn't allow a run, period. All zeros for his first ten outings of the season. His last ten outings, though, have been a little more up and down. And I don't know if that's fatigue or maybe just had a, ran into a stretch of you know facing guys that were, were better. Uh, whatever they need him at the end of the game if they get into close games to be what he was at the beginning of the season there aren't many weaknesses on that arkansas team no they're very solid top to bottom yeah. there's three three maybe four teams in the sec when and uh Aaron Field was talking about it yesterday you know there's three or four teams in the sec you can really see making they'll run all the way to the national championship yeah uh i think he said three in particular his two at the top of the list were vanderbilt and mississippi state uh, gave Georgia a chance, gave Ole Miss a chance, and there was one other. I can't remember who the other one. Who am I missing? Arkansas. Arkansas. Yeah, that's the other one uh, as well. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Please say we a little talk. Uh, try that again. Please say we talk a little baseball. 
Seaspire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. Seaspire, customer inspired. Please don't text and drive, especially when it's raining and the roads are slick. And uh, speaking of slick spots, uh, this area, <laughs> right, right behind whole plate on the concrete. I, I gave Haydad a little bit of a, uh, a quick tour earlier today of the uh, the new indoor facility with baseball. And we were walking down from the press box, and I hit that bottom step. It's like they... Like they painted the concrete and kind of made it pretty. Whoo! He nearly beefed it right there. It is. It is slick, slick, that slick, step, slick. That last step was a doozy. It's a doozy. Um, pitching matchup tonight: Will Etheridge on the mound for Ole Miss, Ethan Small on the mound for Mississippi State. Etheridge is five and four overall in the year. He's got a sub three ERA at two point eight zero. Struck out fifty four and he's walked twenty. So not bad numbers. Maybe not as dominating numbers as you would expect to see for some Friday night starters in the SEC. Opponents are only hitting 231 against him. Obviously, those are numbers that uh, that you can work out uh, work with. In SEC play, he's got two wins and four losses with an ERA just below three and a half. I just that just says he's a tough luck pitcher there. If you're, that's a low ERA, he's not walking a lot of guys, but to be five and four. You can tell that there were some nights the bats didn't show up for him. Yeah, the uh, the story is a little bit different for Ethan Small for the year. He is six and one with a 185 ERA, 39 hits allowed. He's given up only 17 runs all season, and of those 17, only 15 of them are earned runs. Here's the number where it gets a little crazy. He's got a better than six to one strikeout to walk ratio, 122 strikeouts, and just eight walks this year. 18. 18, sorry, 122 strikeouts, 18 walks on the year, and opponents are hitting 155 off of him. He's having a monster year. I mean, a legit SEC pitcher of the year kind of season. I saw a graphic yesterday comparing his stats to Casey Mize, who you know was the number one pick in the draft right. a season ago. A better across the board for Ethan Small. So he is just... Does that mean he's going 1-1 this year? I don't think he's going 1-1, but... He's definitely put himself into conversation, I think, to be a first-round pick. Oh, no! A left-hander? How yeah. hard does he throw it? Mid-90s, he can get 93, 94 on occasion. Okay. It's just he's got, he gets great movement on his pitches, and his delivery is very deceptive. I don't know how much you've watched him. He has a, a, little, a little trademark where he'll, he'll bring the leg up and then he'll pause, maybe a one count, maybe a two count, then he'll deliver. And doing so, he's really been able to keep hitters off balance all season long. Um... The numbers are staggering. Mississippi State's pitching numbers overall. Two weekends this year against Texas A&M on the road and against Alabama. Mississippi State, as a staff, has allowed a total of four runs. give you a little historical context. Um, That's really hard to do. You like that historical context? <laughs> Back in 1903, that was difficult. First time since uh, 2014 that Mississippi State has had two weekends where they have um, have given up only four runs uh, across the entire weekend. I thought I had actually made more notes about that. Now I've got to go back and find it. You got a lot of Ole Miss notes, I see. No, I'm just messing with you. Uh, I've actually got more Mississippi State notes than Ole Miss, but be that guy. It's fine. I was trying to figure out whose game notes were thicker, who's putting in the hours here. Looks like states are slightly thicker. I don't know. Maybe it's thicker paper. Who's to say? I think one of them is 59 pages and the other is like 61 pages. Or maybe it's uh, whatever. 
but come on, what are we doing here? We had more postseason stuff to put in. Oh, did you? Are you really going to do that today? Why not? Like, you know, we talked about this yesterday about the rock. Why not have a little fun? I mean, if you got a joke, make it. I don't care. Um, Mississippi State. Uh, it's been a good year all, all the way around. The uh, the nineteen uh, let's see fourteen game win streak to start the season, which is tied for the fourth longest winning streak at any point in Mississippi State history. They won. Was it eighteen and zero to start the 06 season? I think that's right. Yeah. They won 17 in a row in 2013. The 1987 team won 15 in a row, and they won 14 in a row in both uh, both this year and back in 1985. I, I feel like I've heard somebody talk about the uh, the 1985 team before. Maybe maybe a few people. So, um, but when you look at the uh, the pitching matchups this weekend, obviously it's a, a good one tonight with Ethan Small um, against uh, against Will Etheridge. Game two's matchup is actually a little more intriguing. Yeah. Uh, with JT Ginn going for Mississippi State. He's been really good this year. And Doug Nikhazy going for Ole Miss, who also has been really good. He's just not a guy that anybody was talking about coming into the season. JT Ginn was the former first-round draft pick. Ole Miss has got one of those in Gunnar Hoagland, but it's been the lefty freshman Doug Nikhazy who has really earned the reason, the right to be talked about. Stabilize their rotation. I'm not sure where they would be without Doug Nikhazy because – they were really scrambling on the back end of the rotation behind Will Etheridge, and he's settled him down. And you know, we've talked about it before, and it's kind of cliche, but like he's he's got kind of a composure about him that's kind of beyond his years. He was talking; it was interesting hearing him talk about the crowd in Baton Rouge last week because he was talking about how he found himself needing to step off the mound a couple times and collect himself, but he enjoyed it. He thought it was fun trying to like put on the blinders and trying to block everything out. And I don't know, he's, he's not overwhelming in velocity, but he throws four pitches for strikes and really probably thinks his way through a game more than most. Yeah, the, the interesting thing, or, or, or one of the interesting things, if, if you're just comparing numbers to say, okay, well, which pitcher's got, a, got an advantage? And you look at SEC numbers, obviously – uh, Ethan Small's numbers are, are better than Will Etheridge's. Doug Nikhazy's numbers are better than JT Ginn's. Nikhazy is 5-2 and two in SEC play with a 2.98 ERA, 41 strikeouts, and 13 walks. JT Ginn is 4-3 and three with a 3.89 ERA. He does have 50 strikeouts and 8 walks, so the, the power numbers may be a, a little bit higher there. But if you're going on ERA and wins and losses, which is not the best barometer for measuring a pitcher, there are other ways that you can do that. Casey's numbers are actually a little bit better than Ginn's this year. You know, Ginn had that little stretch in the middle of SEC play where he had some arm soreness, uh, only pitched one inning against Tennessee. Uh, just, just wasn't himself for a couple of weeks there. Uh, but when he's been on, he's been really good. And I'll tell you what, what, what excites me about this, this is the Saturday matchup, but I think we both we would all agree this is the Friday matchup next year. This, these will be the, the two you know lead guys on that staff, I think. Uh, you agree with that? Um, I mean, as far as like lead guys on the staff, I would agree with that. I'm not sure like like it'll be interesting to see how Hoagland develops from year one to year two. But like like I I get your overall point. I agree with that. But like I could, if Nikhazy's still starting on Saturday next year, I, that wouldn't necessarily shock me if someone. It's else not a bad thing. In. But I know your overall point is definitely true in terms of like kind of the face of the rotation. Forky, when you look at the pitching matchups this weekend, is there anything that jumps out to you? Uh, why Ole Miss is hanging on to that TBA. Who okay. else are you going to throw on Sunday? Well, I so we were thinking. I was thinking about this before the game. 
So they went TBA last week, and with a midweek game, you're thinking, okay, there's not really anyone they can throw other than Hoagland. But you'll remember probably the best start Zach Phillips has made in his career that wasn't UAB was against Mississippi State in Jackson, and so without or in Pearl. And so without a midweek game, you leave that option open. Maybe he likes how, how Phillips matches up against State. It's kind of my thinking. I guess, but man, that would just scare me considering what everybody else has done. I mean, this is the best lineup, even though he has seen him once already, but this is the best lineup he will see all year in a weekend spot where it hasn't gone well so far this year. It's at least an interesting decision. I would not feel, I would feel more confident with Hoagland out there on Sunday, even though he doesn't really have the longevity over overseeing Phillips out there, especially if it's a game in which it's a rubber match or maybe you lose the first two and you got to go get a win, I would just rather have Hoagland on the mound, but that's just me. Yeah, I, w- I mean, I-, I get that side too, but I mean, Phillips has been a sub-3 ERA guy really over the last month and a half or so, and has pitched pretty well. Some of his old issues kind of came back up in that game last week at Southern Miss, kind of started leaving some stuff up and making some mistakes. But if he were to do that, I think it's justifiable based on what he's given you the last four or five outings. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Friday afternoon. It's currently raining in Oxford. Mississippi State and Ole Miss scheduled to play at 6.30 tonight. Stand by. Uh, My guess is, and this is, I mean, I I guess it's an educated guess. I mean, I'm looking at a radar and looking at a tarp. So that's where my education comes from on the guess. But it feels like there's going to be an opportunity to play baseball tonight. Uh, Tomorrow doesn't look great. We'll wait and see. And then Sunday looks a little bit better. Um, you know, I, I think if you just wanted to what, – what, if somebody was putting odds on how this weekend would shake out, my, I, I would say the uh, the best odds would be against uh, – would be for playing one tonight and playing two on Sunday, which would mean a pair of seven-inning games and a doubleheader. Yeah, we'll probably have a delay tonight. We're, we're, I'm, I, we are – I am officially predicting 7.30 first pitch. 7.30. That's what I'm going with. You gonna row back to Starkville in between? I got a I got a P-row, which is a boat, and I got one ready to to get back if I need it. Mm. Well, if it breaks down, Borky's got a boat too. <laughs> hey, Borky! If it breaks down, I'm staying with you, Rippy. They're they're they're, <laughs> throw, they're throwing a little shade here in uh, in North Mississippi. I don't know if you're catching it or not. Oh, I'm catching it, but I'm okay with it. Southern Miss leading five to two, top of the seventh inning in Houston against Rice as they continue baseball activity at Reckling Park. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad dancing in his seat over there. Brian Scott Rippey in cars. Not dancing in his seat. He, he had a little head bob going there. Uh, Michael Borky, are you dancing in your seat, Borky? Not a big dancer. <laughs> I can, uh, that doesn't surprise well, me. What, what are you big on, Borky? Just give me an idea. He's a music guy. Okay. Not a dancing guy. Okay. Yeah, I don't I never know what to do at concerts. Like I went and saw the Marcus King band when they came here in Jackson, and they are they're they're incredible. Um, guy plays a guitar better than anybody you've ever seen. Uh, just a great, like, modern blues rock. He, they're fantastic. But Katie and I go, and, and she's right along with me. We go to a show to watch a show, but there's people around us, like, dancing. And I don't know why you go to a concert to dance. I go to a concert to watch the band. And I feel like an idiot because I'm the only one not moving around. But I enjoyed the heck out of the show. I just, I guess I didn't look like it. Did, it you, awesome. did you head bob? A little bit to a couple of their really popular songs, but people are like swinging each other around at this at this rock show. I, I don't know what to do, but I know it's I don't want to do that. Well, some people have some help with the dancing thing. Oh yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Particularly at concerts. I understood that reference. Saying a little uh, 
A little of the devil's lettuce might be happening over there or something. A little, little courage. A little outside I'm just saying courage. it's probably not Red Bull on ice like I'm drinking right now. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I've ever had Red Bull on ice that didn't have something else in the cup with it. Pretty solid. Yeah. Be- all because you forgot to put it in the refrigerator, right? I fell asleep on my couch with it on the table. Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. You can text the show this afternoon. We would love to hear from you. Again, 601-879-4395. Ceasefire's got a lot going on right now and a lot that you can uh, take advantage of. You can get an unbelievable offer on the new Google Pixel 3a. It's now on Ceasefire for a limited time. You get a Pixel 3a on them. With your trade-in, smarter tech, happier customers. Learn more at cspire.com. Cspire, customer inspired. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online, mslandbank.com. Ready to build a house in the country in North Mississippi? Well, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They specialize in financing land and all that goes along with it. So not only could, let's just say you've got a, Oh, a 40-acre piece of property that's got a about a five- or six-acre pond on it, and you're going to build a house, and you realize, you know what else I need? I need a tractor, too. Well, Mississippi Land Bank can help with that because uh, you can you can get the land loan and you can get the equipment loan you need. Uh, you need a loan to actually put that five- or six-acre pond on your property, a, a, a property improvement loan. They can do that as well. Mississippi Land Bank, they know the lay of the land. MSLandBank.com. Joseph Goodman of AL.com has written a column about how the playoff is ruining college football. Here we go. Let me say it again. How the playoff is ruining college football. Uh, you want to read it, you can uh, do so at AL.com. Here are, back in my, read it in the old man voice. Here's the here's the Sparks note version of it for uh, Rippy. He doesn't want to actually read the entire story. Just the highlights. Here you go. Some of his arguments. It's an uh, an indicator of a flawed system. Nobody from Texas or California has made the playoff. And only one Florida team has made an appearance. And that happened one time. Nobody from Pennsylvania or Virginia has made it either. Virginia? Virginia Tech. Apparently, I mean, according one, to the they column, they have the one national championship appearance in the history of the world. <laughs> uh, apparently, according to the column, Pennsylvania and Virginia are college football hotbeds. I remember when Virginia was number one in the nation in 1990 for like four weeks. But even if there was no playoff, these schools weren't making the national title game. What does that have to do with well, it? His argument is the playoff in its current – that it needs to expand because it's not inclusive. There are plenty the, of people from oh, Texas and California and Florida God. making the playoff. They're just at Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State. I mean, I would like to see it go to eight, but to say it's ruining it because more states aren't involved just seems silly because it's never been that way. There are more bad points that he makes. Bring them. Michigan State, Ohio State, Notre Dame have all scored a combined three playoff points in the last four years. Again, what does that have to do with anything? Because of the lack of diversity, the college football playoff is predictable and boring. What? What? College football in general is predictable and boring. A four-team playoff is fraudulent because it only includes teams from the South. What? Regional dominance is ruining college football. The South is hoarding talent because they have the best opportunity to make the playoff. Alabama signing good players from not Alabama is good for Alabama, 
but bad for the sport. Clemson is doing the same thing. The SEC, the biggest power, won't do anything about it because it benefits them the most. Borky, do you have that clip from Billy Madison that you could play right now? <laughs> All of these Which, things were true before they created a playoff. I'm struggling to make any connection as to Everyone what the playoff has to do with in any this of this room is now dumber for having listened to this. I don't understand that. You are awarded no points, and may God have mercy <laughs> on I'm your going. soul. I caught that reference. Dude, dude, the South is hoarding talent because nobody wants to live in the North where it's cold. But it's always been that way. Yes. I don't understand how the playoff changed any of this. And an expanded playoff wouldn't change it either unless you make it. To, and this probably is the best formula, and Richard argues for this, unless you make it conference champions. But at the same time, the Southern teams are still going to dominate the at-large bids that you would have to give and still win the championship every year because there are more players here per capita and by population than any other region in the country, and more people care here. Nobody cares. What The Pac-12 is not only failing because it's got bad leadership, it's failing because nobody cares out there. Nobody cares. You can't get people to show up to games for the good teams. The, the culture here is different. It's always going to dominate. This regional dominance thing in college football is not new. It's always been and it always will be. And no matter what flawed system exists, it will never change. I'm surprised no one jumped on this tired joke, but Florida actually has had two because UCF has a national title. Uh, but I just don't under I don't understand this guy's point. I, what, all of those things you just outlined weren't they all true before the playoff started? Yeah, they were true before the BCS started. So how is that? How is the playoff in turn ruining college football? I, I, can someone explain this to me? Bruce makes good points. He says, didn't Washington make the playoffs a couple of years ago? Washington, Ohio State, Notre Dame, these in, schools have made the playoffs. He says, State. also, I didn't realize that Oklahoma was part of the South. It's Southish. I call. I consider it's Oklahoma the, Midwest. the South. I, I, it's yeah, but the have, you, have you met people from Oklahoma? They seem more SEC-ish than other Big 12 regions. They seem more SEC-ish than Missouri. That's probably Yeah, Oklahoma point. should have been the expansion team in that direction, not Missouri. Well, Oklahoma wasn't at the time looking to get out of the Big 12 in the same way that Missouri was. Well, Missouri. I, I imagine. <laughs> Is that on purpose? Okay. Well, yeah. I imagine they regret that, even though they're doing just fine, obviously. But I imagine there's a, a tiny bit of regret in there. Just a touch. Yeah, you guys have a killed some Missouri names. Missouri, Quanze Martin. Quanzo. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to be funny with Missouri. I'll be deep in the cold, cold ground before I'll recognize Missouri. I just, I, I, like, the way the guy constructed this argument makes no sense is what I can't get over. Well, and, and with these points specifically, nobody from Texas or California has made the playoff. Well, that's because Texas has been bad. And Texas A&M plays in the SEC West, and they haven't been good enough to get to the playoff. And TCU was really, really close and arguably should have made it a couple of years ago. They didn't get screwed, though, because they weren't in the SEC. It was because the Big 12 didn't declare a champion. That whole one true champion thing. So that's the Big 12's fault, not the college football playoffs' fault. What about California? Well, Cal's not very good. Stanford's been close, but Stanford's actually taken a step back in the last couple of years. Yeah. 
Uh, and aren't they so, limited to like Stanford's got a ceiling, and it's it's not a national championship. They they just have to recruit differently. They can have good teams. They, they had an opportunity when they had an elite quarterback in Andrew Luck. Yeah. If, if they get yeah. the right quarterback in place, yes, they could they could play for a national title. Yeah, I mean Hogan, the guy that followed him was good. He was wasn't good, elite. He, he wasn't Andrew Luck, and right. uh, it was the guy that that played quarterback for them last year. Um, oh gosh, Ka- starts with a C. Last name does. I didn't watch a ton of Stanford last year. Yeah, well. They had Bryce Love. They had Bryce Love. I knew that. They did, and he didn't play very much. And when he did, he didn't play great last year. Um, This is like making me mad, though. Yeah, but I mean, okay, so so Southern Cal's down. They haven't hired a good coach. What does the playoff have to do with that? Yeah, exactly. If there was an 18 playoff, they would have hired Nick Saban by now? Is that what they're trying to tell me? No, but I mean, it, but but we all know if Southern Cal hires the right coach, they'd be right back in the mix. That's, that's what I'm saying, though. Like Those two things are not connected. There, there's no connection to bigger playoff and Southern Cal being down. Nobody from Pennsylvania or Virginia, which is basically saying Penn State and Virginia Tech haven't made the playoffs. It's because they haven't been good enough. Pitt was great in the early 80s. But Penn State was probably Jackie good Cheryl. enough one year. No, they were close. Right. Well, that was a three-loss team that won the Big Ten. James Franklin whizzed in his Cheerios and 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 messed it up at the end. He whizzed in his Cheerios. (laughs) The man said, "Wow." Because of a lack of diversity, the college football playoff is predictable and boring. No, it's predictable and boring because Alabama and Clemson are better than everybody else. He might be the first guy to ever try to play identity politics with the college football playoff. Make the playoff great again. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. What is that, Borky? This song? Yeah, it's called In One Ear. Bye. I forgot. Give me one second. Okay. That's fine. I was just curious. Didn't wasn't. Uh, I'm I'm sure. I always feel bad or not bad. Cage like the elephant. I, that's it. Thank you. Cage the elephant. Cage the elephant. Like if I ask a song, I'm I'm afraid it's going to be one of those where it's. it's like, oh, Richard, I can't believe you don't know who that song is. You, you, you know, whatever. You, you got to just live your life, Richard. You can't worry about what the other people are thinking. I really don't. If all you want to know the answer to a question, ask a question. By God, because other people have. It's usually the same question as well. You can get Shazam. That's true, too. I have Shazam. Shazam. People people actually use that? I use it, yeah. Sounds like you should. Yeah, maybe I should. Um, news for you? Breaking news? Do we have a breaking news bump? We don't, do we? I don't think we do. Wait, well, yeah. this might be one. Hold on. I've got Gallows board up, so if there's foul language in this one, blame it on him. Don't play the marijuana clip. I want that more often. I'll save uh, it for ours. There you go. Game time in Oxford has been pushed to 7.30 tonight, one hour later than the originally scheduled start time. What, Rippy? Where'd you get that from? People that know. Okay. Sources. Sources tell No, I, I've confirmed it. 7.30, first pitch tonight. As of right now, it's subject to change, and I guess move later, but uh, they pushed it to 7.30 tonight here in Oxford. I guess you boys can tweet that to uh, yeah, all go that for follow it, the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter people. Oh, and, uh, we got beat to it by Ole Miss tickets. Ugh. 
Nobody follows Could have been first. Hey, they weren't on the radio across the entire state of Mississippi. They Very true. beat us to anything. They just tweeted it first. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, uh, 7.30 first pitch now for um, Ole Miss and Mississippi State. They've pushed the start time back an hour to uh, try and allow the rain to get out of here and move forward. Sports Talk Mississippi will stick with a little football news, uh, news uh, perhaps uh, less controversial to uh, Rippy than the article at AL.com from Joseph Goodman. I mean, Rippy just kind of eviscerated the guy. You should call him and tell him that he's dumb. I didn't, like, question his intelligence. The writing should speak for itself and should do that itself. But, like... <laughs> But, like, I, it doesn't make sense. I was just saying I don't get it. I don't understand any of it. I mean, mentioned multiple times about how regional diversity is killing the sport, specifically southern schools recruiting players from not the south. And it's just, I mean, I mean, what, what do you want to change about this flawed or fraudulent system that would stop Alabama from being Alabama? I do, there's nothing you can do at, at all to stop the best teams in college football from being that. No system, no expanded playoff because Alabama and Clemson and Georgia and the resource schools are always going to win, no matter what you do. Well, if he wants to make that point, that's fine. But how in the world, what can you point to to say there's a correlation between that and the college football playoff? I don't get that. Well, and it's not ratings because the ratings have been exclusively good, even with Clemson and Alabama dominating the last three years. Richard's over here searching for white-tailed deer, deer through the binoculars. Just kind of seeing what's going on at the ballpark. Are those camo binoculars? Yeah. Nice. They are. Uh, Nikon Monarch in Team Realtree camo. Sure. There you go. Um, a transfer from Ole Miss, uh, Matt Zenitz of AL.com yesterday, I think, was the first to report that Ole Miss sophomore linebacker Cavante Ruggs has put his name in the NCAA transfer portal. Give us a little more on that, Rippy. Suspended indefinitely sometime during the spring. I don't think this this came as much of a shock to the coaching staff, although at the time Matt Luke did leave a window open for Ruggs to return to the team. Um, But that's about all I've got for you right now. He's an interesting player because – talented, but he had some issues staying on the field in terms of targeting penalties, didn't he? So he he drew the he drew the start for the season opener against Texas Tech, concussed himself, and I was I was talking to someone about this, or I think I was talking about it on the podcast. I believe it was on a kickoff. It, it, well, it was the opening kickoff it. of the game, I think, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, so he, he went down and, and concussed himself on a kickoff. And then really just kind of struggled to stay consistently in the rotation after that. Totaled, I think, 16 tackles um, on the season. Played in all – he missed the next game after he's concussed. But for all 11 games he was available, he played in them but didn't contribute a ton. But it is a pretty significant loss for Ole Miss because obviously they're not exactly like have a stable of linebackers and they relied on some young guys last year. And so while they can certainly get by, and I think it helps – that Ruggs had been moved to outside linebacker um, in this new 3-4 scheme. And you have some more, like you built some de facto depth there when you when you switch some of the defensive ends to the outside linebacker there. Like I think this would hurt more if it were an inside linebacker, but it's still significant loss. There was a lot of talk going into the year a season ago about Kevontae Ruggs. He had a chance to be special, incredibly athletic, 
young, going to have to learn on the fly. And then as the season came along, people talked about, yeah, maybe he didn't pick it up quite as quickly as, as they had hoped. Uh, the athleticism was still there, but you, you really don't know what it might could have been if he stayed in the program for another couple of years. Well, sure, and like it's a tall task to ask a true freshman to start his first career game. Like They were relying on him and Jacques Jones, and Mohamed Sanogo was like the old guy in the room as a sophomore last year. I mean, you had Willie Hibbler and Dietrich Bing Dukes and some other guys, but in terms of like st- like staying on the field, it was Sanogo, and he was just a sophomore. So he's got two years left. Unless I'm... No, I mean, I mean, I understand if you're a sophomore, you have two years left after that. No, I know. But, but he developed into, by, by the end of the year, he was not just, oh, there's a linebacker out there. He was a good linebacker for Ole Miss. And turned out to be the most, um, certainly the most consistent, but also the most productive player, probably on the defensive side of the ball. Certainly was, yeah. He 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 took a leap last year, and that probably an encouraging sign for Ole Miss because their linebacking play the last two uh, seasons has been, well, suboptimal. So Cavante Ruggs is in the transfer portal. There's been some discussion about transfers potentially coming into Mississippi State. We talked yesterday about Tavian Feaster. I don't think there's any new news on him. What about this Penn State quarterback transfer that's kind of been rumored and talked about and whispered about for, what, two or three weeks now? Yeah, Tommy Stevens, as far as I know, on campus as we speak at Mississippi State. uh, What do you think he's doing? Right now? Yeah. Probably talking with Moorhead, if I just had to guess. Okay. You know. Maybe maybe getting you know getting dinner plans together. Maybe restaurant Tyler are going to get to see him tonight. I don't know. Uh, but that said, uh, all the the forecast, all the indications, all the drums are beating that he'll end up at Mississippi State. It looks like this is going to happen. Um, we know that Joe Moorhead wanted a grad transfer quarterback back in the fall. He pursued Kelly Bryant really heavily, uh, and now with, with Stevens coming up, it looks like that way. From what I was reading from from some Penn State people, they said. If he had not gotten injured in the spring, he wouldn't be transferring because he would have been guaranteed to be the starter. Uh, but because that competition was opened up, he just didn't feel right about it for whatever reason, and he's headed out. And well, it looks like he's going to end up in Starkville. He may take one more visit just to be sure about all his options, but everything looks like he's headed to Mississippi State. Is that concerning if you had a guy who everybody thought was going to be the starter? He gets banged up, and so they open up the competition, and he bails on competing for the starting job? I see where you're getting at. I, I, I do, but maybe it's a little bit of a, of a, of a Wally Pip thing happening there. You, know, you don't feel like you should lose your starting job to injury. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that, to be totally honest with you. But I do know that. Well, in hindsight, the decision with regard to Lou Gehrig was it a worked good one. out. It worked out in the long run. It was for a solid year. decision. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, hindsight being 2020. Uh, with Stevens, I think he, he, he gives MSU an opportunity to be a little bit better in the passing game. I, I think it's very obvious, at least it is to me, that so got, I mean, one year? He has one year. He's a grad transfer. Uh, I, I think it's obvious, at least to me, that for whatever reason, Joe Moorhead is not completely bought into Keaton Thompson. Because he can't throw it well. Well, I mean, that there's that. <laughs> That's obvious. I mean, no, but I, I'm not being flippant when you say yeah, for whatever reason. The reason is he completes 50% of his passes, and we saw what Mississippi State did with the guy that completes 50% of their passes a year ago. Offense needs a guy that can complete that, passes. That's exactly correct. And if you think that Tommy Stevens is worth one more win than Keaton Thompson, it's worth bringing him in. Because... 
you if if you started Keaton Thompson, you think it would only be a one year thing. You're you're waiting on one of those other guys to develop behind him and take the, the I role. I don't know if that's the case or not, to be totally honest with you. I don't know if you know you're looking at next year Maiden or, or Schrader could take over. But I just you could, the thing to remember with Keaton is he still has a redshirt year available. He could technically redshirt this year. Now that said, I don't know that he'll do that. He might he'd also transfer. He could also transfer out after the fourth game, sort of the similar that Kelly Bryant did. So we'll see what happens. So that's a uh, little football news for you, Sports Talk Mississippi. You want a little basketball nugget? We'll give that to you when we come back on this Friday afternoon. We are live at Swayze Field, getting set for Ole Miss and Mississippi Stadium baseball tonight. Borky, my computer has a, uh, a habit of blacking out these days. It just did it again, and so I'm going to let you, if you don't mind, tee up this uh, this college basketball story are we getting set for a deeper three-point line in college basketball? We are. And the rules committee proposed moving the three-point line back, and they cited some numbers with uh, the increased dependency on the three-point shot and the lack of drives to the lane is kind of their reason why. But it came out of nowhere, just randomly on May 10th, the NCAA dropped this nugget that it's been proposed, and it sounds like they really want to do this, that they will move the three-point line to the FIBA regulation, so the international basketball where the Olympics are played, to that yeah. three-point line, which is two feet further back from the college three-point line. So the college three-point line is currently 20 feet 9 inches. It was 19 feet 9 inches uh, before they moved it back, what was it, four or five years ago. Uh, so they moved it back a foot all the way around to 20 feet 9 inches. The NBA line is... It's like 24 feet, isn't it? Or, or almost 24 feet, 23 and a half. Except so, in the corners. They have to like cut it. Yeah, yeah it, it does narrow in the corners a little bit. It's, it's, it's a shorter shot from the corners. So you would be looking at kind of a compromise between, uh, between those two. Uh, with the way the game has changed, does that make more sense? Do you guys like that? Do you push the college blind back a little bit? It's not like we've got great three-point shooters all across the board in college basketball. Yeah, but wouldn't you want to like like – like it sounds like for the – the idea of the rule is to de-incentivize shooting threes, but wouldn't you shoot more? Because more, then you're just kind of stretching the defense further out and you got more space. But then once you create the space, you will start to drive more. What they've found, apparently, is that... It's also fair. Because the three-point line is, is so tight, teams are just allowing shots to go up and not letting anybody get to the basket. This will force, in theory... The defense to spread out, therefore creating more space in the lane for anything but a three-point shot, which college basketball, and, and the NBA as well, has really grown a dependency on the outside shot. What uh, if I told you a rule change impacted college basketball in 2019 more than a federal trial? <laughs> it's true. You, I, might, you might be on to something. Uh, let, me ask, let me ask two questions here. Uh, number one, would a team like Virginia, who plays that really tight pack line defense be negatively affected by an extended three-point line? It'd probably make things more difficult, right? Because you force everything to the middle, and now that middle has gotten slightly larger. I don't think it would be huge, but I think – I mean, I think it, it – naturally, don't you think it would make it harder? You would think. You would think. So, so that would be question number one. Question number two, are we okay with college basketball being different than the NBA? Well, man, it's already sort of different than the NBA. No, no. It, it has it, to be, doesn't it? it no, it, 
It, it needs to be its own product. Uh, okay. They need to play four quarters. Though. This two halves thing is dumb. All That's, right, but but you guys missed what I was asking. My point would be college basketball is drastically different than the NBA. Are we okay with the oh. college game being different from the NBA? Yes, absolutely. 100%. Okay. It, it needs to be because the shooters aren't as good. That's the yeah. biggest difference. People talk about how the NBA doesn't play defense all the time, and it's complete nonsense. The scorers are dramatically better in the NBA, so it's harder to defend. And it looks – when you're giving up – when you're getting scored on, you can easily say, oh, well, they're not playing defense, when in reality, Kevin Durant, a seven-footer, can dribble drive on anybody and pull up and hit a shot with a hand directly covering his face. The scorers are just that much better. So hey, college, Borky. Borky. Yeah. Borky. I know you know so much more about the NBA than I do. But can we all agree that they don't play a lot of defense except for when they want to in the NBA? Well, oh, sure, there, there are, college. Yeah, and well, it's an 82-game season where they play back-to-backs and they, they go from L.A. to New York in the same day and have to play two games in 17 hours. You're not getting uh, optimal effort every night, but to claim that nobody in the NBA plays defense is uh, utter nonsense. I would say that, generally speaking, you don't play a lot of defense other than in the fourth quarter and in the playoffs. It's amazing. If you watch an NBA game, how differently the game is played for the first three quarters than it is in the fourth quarter, whether you're talking about a regular season game or a playoff. I mean, playoffs are altogether different. I'll give you that. But even the playoffs are played differently in the last 12 minutes of a game than the first 36 minutes of the game. Do you think I'm wrong? If you th- if you disagree with that, say so, and and I can be persuaded otherwise. I'm just I'm, that ba- that's based on what I mean a well, dozen NBA games that I've been to in the last ten years. Oh, I think you might be onto something could, because isn't it like an energy preservation thing? Because you you can't go all out and guard Kevin Durant with I mean extreme maximum effort for cor- for four quarters because he will wear you down and by the time you're at the fourth you're done. So maybe there's an element to that, but still in the playoff games last night, all four teams that played scored over 100 points. And if you go a seven game series, it's 336 minutes of basketball. That's not bad work for a non-math guy. I just did that on my calculator on my phone. Very good. I was going to be impressed if you had uh, actually pulled that off in your head. But the, um, the point, the the reason why I ranted like that is college, if you just have them shoot outside shots all game long, your product's going to suffer because they don't make them at the same clip that they do in the NBA. That's a good point. Sports Talk Mississippi live with you from Swayze Field in Oxford on this Friday afternoon. Tonight's baseball game between Mississippi State and Ole Miss, as of right now, will be played. It will not be played at the originally scheduled time. 7.30 for game one tonight between the Rebels and the Bulldogs. We'll take a timeout. More coming up with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Time for us to go to the Farm Bureau phone line for today's college football fix, driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Our buddy John Harris from the Houston Texans and Texans Radio and Texans TV and HoustonTexans.com and a little bit of everywhere. Johnny, what's up, my man? What's going on, Richard? How you doing? I got to ask, first of all, the football teams play for the egg, the egg bowl. What do yeah. the baseball teams play for? Is that as in, is that is, is that as intense a rivalry as the football game, or not perceived as such? 
Uh, among the fa- so so first of all, college baseball is a massive deal in the state of Mississippi. Uh, Ole Miss, yes. Mississippi State are both top four in the country in uh, in total attendance and per game attendance, and then Southern Miss is kind of top fifth, uh, probably top fifteen as well. So college baseball is a really big deal here, and to the fans, it is a huge deal. Now the teams play it a little bit differently. Like we were talking some about the the football rivalry yesterday, and it's it's gotten kind of to the point where it's ridiculous. Um, mm-hmm. But baseball's uh, something different about baseball. I mean, there's no question it's a rivalry and it's a huge deal and it's an important series. But something about baseball just kind of lends itself to a little bit different. I don't know if it's because a lot of these guys have played together growing up or played against each other growing up or uh, or what, but it's uh, a little bit more civil. Maybe than uh, than what you see on the gridiron in the fall. Both teams are always good too. Oh yeah, the other piece of that is is they're both usually pretty good, uh, yeah. which has not always been the case on the uh, the football side of things. So yeah, that's so, true. I, I I think people underestimate how good college baseball is in the South and Southeast. Like I I think people up north have no clue about college baseball at at all. And I was I've been a huge fan of college baseball. Um, up to the point, I really went, when I went to college, that's, I actually decided to play college baseball, and that's what I was recruited for. But I love football so much, that's where it went. But college baseball in the South and the Southeast is just so good. Um, so I'm, I'm a little envious that I'm not there with you guys to watch the great rivalry game tonight. Yeah, and, and a little disappointing. It, it's raining right now. It's going to get out of here, I think, in time for the game. But instead of you know nine, ten, eleven thousand, they'll probably be more like four or five thousand that are, are actually here tonight. So uh, hopefully, it'll get better as the uh, as the weekend goes along. Uh, by the way, one baseball score in Houston: Southern Miss beat Rice. They played early today because of uh, rain in the Houston area as well. Southern Miss took game one of that series, six to three. Um, we could talk college baseball, John. That's not really. Uh, while we got you on draft now in the rearview mirror uh, how do you grade this thing out is there one team that was head and shoulders above the rest in your mind in this year's draft i i don't really think so i i mean i look at a team like seattle and i, I look at how seattle kind of managed the the board they kind of up and down they didn't have a ton of picks going in but then they traded frank clark so they got kansas city's uh, pick in the first round. I thought Seattle did a pretty good job. I love the fact that they ended up with DK. They also ended up with Gary Jennings. And then, of course, the news this week about Doug Baldwin having to retire. So having two guys, yeah, they're young guys, but, man, they are some athletes. So Russell Wilson gets a couple of weapons. He gets the big contract that makes Sierra happy. Then he gets a couple of wide receivers that makes him happy. But I just kind of like the way that Seattle kind of managed the board, did some different things. But, look, at this point, people ask us all the time, well, how would you grade that draft? How would you grade that draft? And, you know, you got to play this thing out. I don't know how many times we've seen a draft given an A+, and then all of a sudden, boy, that first-round pick was a bust. Couldn't get himself on the field. I remember a couple of years ago, the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, were thought to have had the greatest draft. They had Cam Robinson in the second round. They got Leonard Fournette on the four. This is what the Jaguars yeah. are going to do. And Leonard Fournette can't get on the field. He can't stay on the field. He's been all kinds of issues. And I think people will go back and regrade that now and go, wow, I don't know. That's a really pivotal pivotal year for Leonard Fournette and the Jaguars. They just had another one uh, with Telvin Smith saying he's going to be out for 2019. But I think 
you know, right here in my own division, I feel like the Colts did a really good job managing the board, moving out of the first, getting three picks in the second round that they really loved, including Paris Campbell, which is going to be really frustrating to watch for the next how many every year, twice a year. Uh, and I thought the Titans, every time the Titans made a pick, I got visibly upset because I'm like, I love that guy. I love that guy. Nate Davis, the guard, I love him. Jeffrey Simmons, you know, trying to explain that whole story on draft night to our draft crowd. Like, look, you may not see this guy in 2019, so you might think, oh, it's a bust. This guy's going to be a problem twice a year for the next eight to ten years against us. So I feel like the Titans did a really nice job pulling a lot of players that I really liked in rounds later than I had them projected. So I feel like uh, Mike Vrabel and John Robinson did a really good job there with Tennessee. Well, they end up with A.J. Brown as part of that haul as well, uh, a piece yeah, exactly. that potentially help Mariota in the slot. Yeah, and to, to my point, when they got on the board and in that second round, I kept seeing there was some receivers going off the board, and they got to Tennessee. On the draft shot, I went, this is going to be A.J. Brown, and I'm going to hate this. I'm going to hate this because the one thing that, that Mariota really hasn't had is a really consistent receiver that can get to every level, play every position. He just hasn't had that guy. He hasn't had a Michael Thomas or a Mike Evans or a Keenan Allen or DeAndre Hopkins that he can just go to. Times are tough. I'm throwing it to my guy. I think A.J. Brown could ultimately be that guy, even though A.J. won the second round. I think A.J. could be that guy for Marcus Mariota. In fact, I think he needs to be that guy. Corey Davis has not proven to be that guy. Adam Humphreys is a slot guy. And I think A.J. Brown can play anywhere he wants in that offense. And I think it's really going to suit A.J. that they're going to try and get him the football. I think by midseason, by the time we see them and we play them twice late in the year, I think A.J. Brown is going to be a huge factor for that offense that we're going to have to stop to win that game. John Harris on your radio talking some NFL, some college football with him as well. And we're going to spend a, a couple of segments with him this afternoon. We spent a lot of time yesterday talking about Dak Prescott. Um what are the Cowboys going to pay him? What should they pay him? So so let's kind of start here. Is Dak Prescott a $30 million quarterback in the NFL? I don't think Dak is, is that. But, then again, here's the thing. We have to, when it comes to money and contracts, we have to keep moving our targets because the TV money keeps coming in, the salary cap keeps going up, 10 to $12 million a year. You, you, we got to keep moving our targets. I do think that Dak is a guy probably at the $24, $25 million range. I don't know. He's a $30 million a year quarterback. I think about Russell Wilson making what? He can make it 35 So, right. you know, on average. But so maybe, maybe he is. You know, maybe I haven't moved my target enough. But I'll tell you this about Dak. I, I got a chance to see him up close uh, this, this past year. He did have Amari Cooper. It was earlier in the year. And Dak struggled, and part of it was our pass rush. I mean, Connor Williams is just getting worked inside, and Dak had no time. But then all of a sudden he gets Amari Cooper, you know, Ezekiel Elliott's back healthy, and his mind is right, and all of a sudden you've you got something, and you realize, hey, Dak can't get it done. I, I don't know that I think, it, that, think Dak is all the way to the $30 million a year range, but I do think he's probably in the 25 to $30 million range, which scares me a little bit because – Golly knows what Deshaun Watson is going to get paid here in a few years, what Carson Wentz is going to get paid, uh, what Patrick Mahomes is going to get paid in a couple of years. So it's, it's kind of interesting to look at it like that. But I do think that Dak is probably somewhere between 25 to 27. I don't know okay. that he's reached that level yet. But I do think that he, with 
with more more time with Amari Cooper, with well, Jason Witten's back, but uh, is Ezekiel Elliott staying healthy? I do think that Zach can continue to put up significant numbers. I mean, look what Cooper did for him. Michael Gallup's going to take another step forward. I do think it will hurt him without Cole Beasley. I think that will hurt him a little bit. But I don't know if I go all the way to $30 million, but I do think he's probably the 25 to $27 million a year. I think that's a good number for Dak, a guy that was a formerly a fourth-rounder. Given the, the the other things that you've got to do, I mean, it's what you, you know you have to start with a, uh, a franchise quarterback, a guy that can make stuff happen. But you got to build around him. you got to have an offensive line. You need a running game. You need guys that he can throw it to. And then you got to have somebody or some guys that can go stop the other team as well. All of those things cost money. Can a team that invests as much as, say, Seattle is investing into Russell Wilson, $35 million a year, can they really win long-term when they tie up that much money with one player? It's tough, but the the Indianapolis Colts were chastised a few years ago for giving Andrew Luck all that money, and, well, they're not going to be able to build around him. And then they bring in Chris Ballard, and Ballard's drafted all pros on both sides of the ball, and all of a sudden the Colts have more money than any team in the NFL. And the Colts won last year with Andrew Luck with that contract. So I think, yes, you can't bring in eight to ten players making that amount of money. That's not going to happen. But, look, I've I've lived an NFL life without a big-time quarterback or just having a quarterback, a valid quarterback. It's a frustrating life to live. And I guarantee you that Dak Prescott is better than a lot of guys that could step into that position. And life without Dak would be very miserable for Dallas fans. And I think sometimes – and maybe they need to live live a little bit without him to see, oh, wait a second, we should appreciate him a whole heck of a lot more than we do. Because, yeah, look, they went from – uh, you know, uh, who's, I can't remember who's before Tony Romo, but from Jeb Bledsoe to Tony Romo to Dak, they've lived a pretty good quarterback life. But when you don't have one and then you get one, you want to latch on for a long time. So that's part of my feelings because we didn't have one. But now we do with Deshaun Watson. I look at the Cowboys and said, look, don't, don't look at it or don't take Dak Prescott for granted. That guy can give you a whole heck of a lot more than some yeah. other quarterbacks can get a step in his head. All right, John, sit tight for a second. We're going to continue this with John Harris from the Houston Texans Sports Talk Mississippi with you on Super Talk Mississippi. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, continuing on the Farm Bureau phone line in just a moment with John Harris from the Houston Texans. The severe weather that pushed through Mississippi yesterday and continues today has impacted Mississippi Blood Service's ability to collect blood. MBS has seen less than 50% of the donors that they need to keep the shelves full. Mississippi Blood Services is urging all donors uh, donors to locate a blood drive near you uh, by downloading the free app or visiting msblood.com. Donate ASAP to help ensure that the blood needed is available when patients uh, need that as well. You can help save a life by donating blood with Mississippi Blood Services. John Harris on your radio. John, there was a time when the New York football giants were considered to be one of the model franchises, not just in the NFL, but in all of pro sports. They were well run. They did it the right way. They drafted well. They took care of their players. They had a great reputation. That reputation seems to have been tarnished with Dave Gettleman as the GM, and in a lot of places, the giants seem to have become a little bit of a laughing stock. 
is that fair to say that? Is it even accurate to, to make that observation, or am I onto something there? Oh, that's a that's a great question. I, I tend to think that. Hey, I mean, look how you you spent time on Twitter, Richard. You know how it goes. You know, one one person criticizes the Giants for something, and then it kind of catches like wildfire. Like, hey, look at the joke I can make about the Giants now. But, but yeah. look, it all comes it comes back to winning in some sense. You know, the Cleveland Browns were a model NFL franchise. You know, when they got in the NFL after playing the AFL way back in the 40s and 50s, and I mean, Paul Brown ran everything the right way. And over the last, what, how many ever, 10 to 12 years, the, the, the Browns were just a complete joke. But then John Dorsey comes in, a player here, a player there. You hit on your draft picks, and, whoa, look, you can get this thing turned around pretty quickly. And I think so can the Giants. Now, that all said, when you are in New York getting it right and getting it, boy, what's the right way to say this? Getting it right year in and year out gets to be pretty difficult, but you start with the quarterback. They had their opportunity to get the franchise future quarterback last year, and they didn't do it. They went and got Saquon Barkley, and I was a huge Saquon Barkley fan, but when you have an opportunity to get a franchise quarterback, we just talked about that, you go get it. They had an opportunity to get Sam Darnold, they didn't do it. So I felt like that was a huge mistake, and so what happens is you've got to then reach on a quarterback the next year, and you get a guy that's not even the same class as Sam Darnold, but you take him at number six. And I think that's where people start putting those kind of dominoes together, you know, and kind of like look how all these dominoes kind of fall. It, it basically is showing that, yeah, around the league, a lot of people look at the Giants and kind of poke fun at them for what they're doing. But, look, all it takes is for Daniel Jones to step in there and be the guy that nobody thinks he can be and start leading the Giants to a bunch of wins and everybody's left with egg on their face. And how many times have we seen that? Look. At the the Houston Texans draft party eight years ago, 2011, when the pick of J.J. Watt was announced, everybody booed. They thought we had the worst pick ever in the draft. And look what J.J. Watt has done, you know, not only for the Texans, but the city of Houston, the state of Texas, et cetera. I mean, people, oh, no, I didn't boo him that day. Oh, yeah, you did. The entire city did when he got picked. So from that perspective, things can change pretty quickly if guys go out and do what it is that Dave Gettleman thinks that Daniel Jones can do it. If Daniel Jones succeeds Eli Manning as he expects, then he's going to be the one guy that believes in him. Then it's the right organization for him to be with. Because how many times do we see general managers draft a guy for a particular reason? The owner pushes it, the head coach is pushing, the GM's like, oh, man, I don't know. The GM is all on board with uh, with Daniel Jones being the quarterback that succeeds Eli. And that's great that he believes in him. He's going to get opportunities. Now he's got to prove it. He's a tough guy, but... I don't know if I would say that the Giants are completely a laughing stock. I just think this situation at quarterback has really exposed Dave Gettleman in some sense for his thought process and how he's looked at this quarterback position. And I think that's been the the noise I guess we've heard on Twitter or so about Dave Gettleman and the New York Giants. John Harris on your radio. You can uh, follow him on Twitter at jharrisfootball. Good follow there. You can check out his website, footballtakeover.com. A lot of cool stuff there, and uh, a lot of that is college football related. Is it too early to turn the page to the 2020 draft? I I mean, I know we're talking about 11 months from now. Have you started kind of looking at at the guys that are going to be available next year that, that are either juniors that are going to make that leap or, or guys that are nece- might be fourth-year players 
specifically from the SEC? Is there a guy or two that is just absolutely can't wait to see him in the NFL? Well, would it shock you to say that I already started that back in March? So You, you, you did it before this past draft. Of course you did. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of—I mean, I do that for a couple reasons. Number one, I'm a one-man shop, so I need all the time in the world. But it gets to a point where I've seen the guys in the 2019 draft so often. I'm like, I just—I need a—I need a break. I need okay. something new. So I started looking at some of the 2020 guys and looking at uh, you know some of the players. And so I really have been going through the skill players the last probably couple of weeks: quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, and looking at those groups and. Just looking at the group in total of you know if guys declare this running back class is going to be unbelievable. The wide receivers, if they all declare, it's going to be a tremendous skill receiver or a, a wide receiver group as well. And then you've got potentially three quarterbacks that are going to be talked about that could be even better than anybody who was drafted in the first round of this draft. So I think you've got a really exciting 2020 draft, and that's what makes drafts for a lot of people. If it's the sexy pick, the quarterback, the wide receivers, the running back. So those are the guys, but you know, there's one guy that stands out to me, and I think he he arguably is the best player in the country, and that's Grant Delpit, the safety at LSU. I okay. think Delpit's just an amazing football player, and whether you play him at strong, free, nickel, wherever you play him, I, I just think he's phenomenal. Look, I'm a little biased. He's from Houston. He played his high school career up till senior year. We went to IMG, went to LSU, but he's everything you want in safety. I just love watching a guy like Grant Delpit play. Now, I know safeties aren't valued like left tackles or uh, quarterbacks, et cetera. But I think we've seen in Houston, if you don't have a safety, how your defense looks. And then we drafted Justin Reed a few years ago in a third round from Stanford, and he's turned into everything a first-rounder should be and really, really helped our defense. So I know a guy like Grant Delphi can definitely do that. Uh, but he's one guy who really just, from a pure all-round football standpoint, Grant Delphi's a guy that stands out every time I watch him. John, only got a couple of minutes left. Uh, how are we going to be talking about Tua Tonga-Vailoa a year from right now? I think people will try and poke holes in his game. But, you know, they're going to say a little bit of a long-arm motion. He gets kind of locked down his wide receivers. But, look, he's going really into his second year as a starter. I mean, he didn't play a whole lot at 17. So, it's right. really his second year as a starter. But I think with Tua, arm strength there – I think he takes some calculated risks in that way. I think he's very similar to Deshaun, that Deshaun was extremely football intelligent. But Deshaun wanted to push them all down the field, and he took some risks, and I still see that on a weekly basis. I am taking some risks. I think we'll look at Tua a little bit that same way. Like, he'll take some risks, but you really want the ball to be in his hands. Now, I do think that one thing I'd like to see Tua do and have an opportunity to do, how does he do in a two-minute situation? How clutch is he? Can he lead Alabama to a game-winning drive? I'd like to see that. But I think quick release, arm strength, the things you're talking about, NFL quarterback, the ability to make plays off-platform, those are all there for Tua. So I think we're going to be talking about him a lot the way we talk about a guy like Deshaun Watson, a guy like Patrick Rubs. He doesn't have Mahomes' arm strength. Amy, I don't even know if he's got Deshaun's arm strength, but I think all the assets you want in a quarterback, he's got. He's been born and bred to be an NFL quarterback. And he will in due time. It's a matter of whether he declares for the 2020 NFL draft or not. All right, two years from now, are we going to be talking about Trevor Lawrence in the same way we talked about uh, Andrew Luck? Absolutely. Without question. I can answer that. Absolutely. I don't know what's got to happen. I don't know what can happen to him. 
But, yes, he will absolutely be, no question, 2021 NFL first-round pick for sure. It'll be fun to watch. We'll be uh, college football really getting into it before we know it. In fact, next week when we're at the SEC baseball tournament, we will start, John, our countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. Next week, I think we're 105 days away from the opening kickoff of the football season. It'll be here before we know it, my man. That's awesome stuff, man. That is awesome stuff. It's coming closer than we think. Absolutely. Hey, you're the best. Enjoy the weekend. Thanks for your time today. You got it, Richard. Take care, buddy. That's John Harris. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.